KYW Original Podcasts. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. This week, we take a look at coronavirus behind the wall. Many say prisons are the perfect place for an outbreak. People are not able to social distance in the prisons in terms of when they eat, but also where they sleep. Justice advocates, they want low-risk inmates let out. There's a lot of people out there that are scared. Are they really a threat to public safety? The process of reducing prison populations. How do you get it done and keep the public safe? Then work for yourself or run a small business. You may qualify for an SBA loan. By removing all the red tape, most of our business is qualified. An SBA director walks you through the process and guess what? Some of the money you will not have to pay back. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint family. Thank you so much for taking a listen. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and then rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Thanks, everybody. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is coronavirus behind the wall. Conditions inside of prisons make it impossible to social distance, creating the perfect place for an outbreak. In Pennsylvania, eight DOC staff and two inmates have tested positive for coronavirus. In Philly jails, 31 inmates have it, and the number is ticking up each day. On Friday, the state Supreme Court declined to step in to reduce prison populations, just as the first judicial district released protocols for reducing the those numbers quickly. So how do you release inmates without jeopardizing public safety? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Kier Bradford Gray, chief defender of the Defender Association of Philadelphia. We also have Pennsylvania State Rep Austin Davis out of Allegheny County, where they have reduced the county jail population in just a couple of weeks. And finally on the phone, we have Jennifer Riley, State Director for Marcy's Law of Pennsylvania. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Here, Philadelphia is seeing the number of positive cases grow. Lay out the problem in our county jails as you see it. Looking at the rate of infection that we were seeing in our county jail, and on March 27th, we had two cases. On April 1st, we had 12. So the rate of infection is picking up rapidly. And what we do understand is that people are not able to social distance in the prisons in terms of when they eat, but also where they sleep uh, and shower, using the phones, all of those things. We have people that are two-person cells. We have some people that are in what we call bunkers that are like either 15 to 20 people. And so this is going to not only be a health hazard for the people that are in there, but also the people that work there every day. You submitted a proposal this week. We submitted a proposal to look at really low-level offenses and people who are due to be paroled despite this virus, um, mm-hmm. that they, they would have been out and paroled regardless of the fact that we have a public health pandemic. But some of those categories, we just sent it to the courts and had a really good conversation, include one, inmates who have six months or less remaining on their minimum sentence, inmate women who have children, inmates held on detainers for technical violations only, Inmates held on detainers for potential direct violations whose open cases are misdemeanors that do not include sex offenses or violent offenses and inmates with open matters that are economic crimes. So these are people that should be really a no-brainer that jail was never really an answer for them anyway because of the types of qualifications of crime, but we don't have real creative responses to these things. But right now we're looking at understanding 
how to do this on a mass level. And the court is now doing that in a list manner. The DA will have to contact victims for people who are uh, sentenced because they have been convicted to get their either objection Mm -hmm. or their understanding of what they would object to if these individuals are released. That goes to, uh, we we see where the, the wheels are starting to turn here in Philadelphia. But Representative Davis, Allegheny County, beginning on March 16th, sent home over 700 inmates. How did y'all do it? Very similar to uh, the process that the chief uh, public defender in Philadelphia just laid out. I think literally before we um, before I got on this call, I checked the, the total number is 742 inmates. That's a little over 30 percent of the original jail population has been sent home. And really, this has been a strong partnership between the courts, which is led by uh, our president judge, Tim Tim Berkeley-Clark, and our county public defender's office, which is run by Matt Dugan, they really created a strong partnership in trying to to reduce the population of the jail as significantly as possible. So they started with low-level offenders, people who are technical and parole violators, nonviolent crimes, and really just started prioritizing moving those folks out of the jail as quickly as possible. I know the process is still ongoing. They are still reviewing inmates' files to see who, who else is eligible for a potential release. Um, but we've clearly we've taken this very seriously in Allegheny County uh, and tried to move pretty expeditiously to, to bring our population down. And I mean, at one point, there were like 100 people being released in one day. Yes, there was. I think that was the largest um, the largest release. But we have tried to be really progressive uh, about this. But really, uh, our, the credit should go to Judge uh, Judge Clark and the courts and our public defender's office for really uh, leading the charge. Jennifer, crime victims are a big part of the concern here. We heard Kier uh, mention that, that this has to be a part of the process. Tell me the concerns from a crime victim's perspective. So I applaud Allegheny County and, and the way they approached this because, you know, they did take a look at, you know, those crimes that didn't have a victim at the forefront, these nonviolent crimes. And, um, and again, we don't have a, from Marcy's law perspective, we don't have a problem or an issue necessarily with um, prisoner release, especially for those nonviolent crimes. It's really in the process of doing this. So for those criminals and those who are um, in prison that have committed a crime, that have committed a violent crime where a victim is involved in the ACLU's emergency petition to the Supreme Court, it doesn't mention crime victims at all, nor does it mention their safety when considering release, nor does it mention notification of release. And so those are the two big things that from a crime victim's perspective are non-negotiables for us. And Kiara, I want you to come back in here because there are challenges. People are nervous. The number of arrests have been reduced in order to keep the, the influx of, of, of folks going in the prisons low as well. What are some of the challenges that you, you see when trying to identify who uh, should be released in the, uh, you know, amid this pandemic? I mean, I think we're, we're being much more considerate and not as reckless. Every court will have their own process of how they would do things. And the DA's office has the responsibility of notifying crime victims, which doesn't mean that everyone's just going to be open. The doors of the prison are going to be opened up and everyone's going to walk out. We have to set up our own processes in each of our jurisdictions here in Pennsylvania. And we are being very mindful of the fact that there are people that have crimes of violence, that have a violent history. And those people are, uh, for the most part, not necessarily reflective in our mass uh, filings. It is more of the people who are very low level, very nonviolent crimes, those who are eligible to be released now, and those who are in for technical violations on probation. Um, and who may have minor misdemeanor charges. Anything beyond that, 
are going to be judged on an individual basis, and the DA's office will have to do its due diligence to contact crime victims and to let them know that this is what either the public defender or another defense counsel is seeking. So it's, it's not as easy as just saying, hey, courts, uh, let out everyone, and, and that's it. There's protocols well, and processes set up. Yeah, and go ahead. Right, and there, yeah. I was going to say, there's a difference, too, in whether you're talking about uh, release for county jails, which is probably a little easier to reduce the population, as opposed to state prisons. I know Secretary Wetzel and our state prisons has been uh, working around the clock uh, to, uh, to, to, to make sure that uh, COVID-19 stays out of its prisons, but reducing the population at the state level uh, are a lot more difficult uh, because most of the people in our county jails are usually awaiting adjudication and not necessarily serving a sentence. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to point out that county prisons are different from state because the, the crimes, if you're sentenced in a county jail, is usually for low-level offenses. And or you're right. being detained on bail or some other type of thing, where state prisons are usually longer sentences and more violent crimes. Um, and so right. I, I do want to talk to you again, Rep. Davis, about uh, how Allegheny County, I mean, because it's a multi-pronged approach to, cry, to try to reduce prison population. And I mentioned briefly to Kier, I mean, one of the things is trying to make sure that the numbers going in don't uh, make your the numbers going out null and void. We've been working really closely with uh, local law enforcement. You know, obviously they're still bringing people to jail if anybody who commits a serious offense, but are really trying to be judicious about who we are putting in our jails right now. Are they really a threat uh, to public safety? Uh, and I think the judges have been really looking at it through, through that lens as we go through this process uh, and have really been strict about who they're sending down to the jail given this current time. If there's an alternative method, they're, they're exploring that. Yeah. Terry, yeah. can I just say something? Commissioner Outlaw has been very good from the beginning, mm. looking at ways to ensure that those who are not a threat to public safety don't even touch the criminal justice system in, at this moment, but will get a warrant later where they'll have to turn themselves in. So we are also looking at categories of people who would not be arrested at this time in this pandemic. Jennifer, I want to get you back in here. How important is the the DA's role of its due diligence in reaching out to you? Are there are are you hearing anything as these uh, methods are being implemented throughout the state? What we're hearing is that victims are scared, right? That there's a lot of narrative and there's narratives out there and there's a lot of conversation. And from the ACLU's filing to the Supreme Court, there isn't really a designation in there to uh, separate violent versus nonviolent offenders. It's very, very broad. And so understanding that the, the court needs to make a determination here, but looking at the filing, it's very broad. So a lot of people are scared. So we're hearing from victims saying, am I going to be notified? And the problem with this is that the ACLU is actually blocking victims from having constitutional rights here in Pennsylvania. In November, voters, 74% of voters in Pennsylvania approved a crime victim rights amendment, but it's being blocked by the ACLU. So not only are they advocating for mass release of prisoners, but they're blocking constitutional rights for victims to be notified. So we have a lot of people out there that are scared. Yeah, yeah. And I know that there have been some changes to just being getting access to PFAs and other types of things. Are you hearing from folks on on just, you know, the fact that the courts have sort of slowed down and trying to get justice is 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 tough right now? Yeah, I mean, the criminal justice system can be very daunting and scary, especially if you're not an attorney and you're not used to it. Right. So if you're thrust into the criminal justice system for being a victim of crime, 
you know, it's confusing. And then you layer in this pandemic. You have a lot of people out there that are very nervous and very scared. Kier, who needs to be at the table? I mean, your proposal says this this is what needs to happen and this is who needs to sit down. And is that happening? And, and if so, what's the timeline? Most of the people that we're looking at in our county jail are pre-trial. So they haven't been convicted of anything to have a bona fide victim for uh, what the, the young lady is speaking about. But I want to I want to say, as we are combing through these things and creating an understanding, they're still being reviewed on an individual basis, even though we're going through a list of people that fit this category. It's not just as simple as let everyone out who fits this category. There may be people that have nuances uh, in their individualized histories that the DA would raise objections to. We're trying to do this so that we don't scare everyone into thinking that this is, you know, some kind of a purge and everyone's going to go go free to, to commit crime. Um, I don't think we've seen that. And it's a much more thoughtful approach. However, the way it's been narrated has been left to a lot of interpretation. So I am glad that you're covering this because I think people should know here in, in Philadelphia, we are looking at broad categories finally, but we're still coming through them. And there is opportunity to ask questions and raise objections to people who do not fit into the public safety realm. We're still in the process, uh, Rep. Davis, but I know Allegheny County is, is still very new, but what has been the community reaction? Has there been any issues with the 700-plus um, folks that have been released? Uh, no, not that I'm aware. There haven't been uh, issues, per se, and, and there hasn't uh, been, at least from my perspective, from what I've seen, a negative response from the community. There's been more of a political response from some elected officials who who don't believe we necessarily have gone far enough, but quite frankly, I think they just don't understand how difficult the process is, how nuanced it is. Uh, like the chief defender said, it's not as simple as just opening the doors and letting people walk out. Uh, you have to have a robust process and have to have everyone engaged. That's really the only, I'll say, shatter that I've heard uh, out there. And I know you work at the state level, and there's currently discussions right now to work on legislation for state prisons as well. Any insight or advice? Do you think that some of the processes that you guys have put in place there and that are being put in place in other counties will help uh, inform that process? I think it may, but I think the Pennsylvania Legislative Black Caucus had a call with Secretary Wetzel a couple days ago. I think one of the big things is the Board of Parole uh, does not currently have a full complement right now. There are three, I think, a number of vacancies. Uh, getting those getting those positions filled as quickly as possible uh, to ramp that process up as a vehicle to get people out. I know they're looking at a number of measures, and I think they're going to try to come back to us next week with some things. The legislature's in session, I think the House and the Senate, uh, this coming week. I will expect that we may have some proposals that are being flushed out for us to vote on. Jennifer, when you hear all of this, I mean, because I mean, part of the victim, uh, the crime victims' rights, uh, Bill of Rights, is to make sure that, you know, crime victims get to go to parole board hearings, that they get notified. And I know there's like three vacancies on the parole board. How do you make sure that the voices of the victims are still heard and that they have a seat at the table? From what I'm hearing, you know, at the local and the state level, I mean, the considerations for crime victims' rights are definitely on the table, right? But I will say that the concern that we have is for a, you know, a broad brush approach to prisoner release and to not include crime victims' rights, especially because they're being blocked from our Constitution right now. So we need to make sure that we are 
focus on crime victims, right? not just notification, but the safety aspect, right? So in setting bail, a victim's safety should be considered. And I'm afraid with some of these proposals, that isn't a part of the conversation. Yeah, and we have to make sure that that is. And so, Kier, you heard Rep. Davis mention that this, on the state level, it's at least a week away. I mean, it could take some time because of the parole board and other issues. What's the timeline in Philly? Because we keep seeing these numbers of positive cases ticking up. So how do you get this moving, but safely? That was the reason for the call to Mm. the court, District Attorney, is that we've been moving in this kind of snail fashion that has not allowed us to keep up with the realities of this viral spread. And so what we are agreeing on now is to set up days, even tomorrow over the weekend, and and go through these lists one by one, and we'll do them virtually, but we'll, we're, we're available and ready to do them as, as early as tomorrow. Uh, the courts understand the urgency. They see the rising and the rapid rate of spread in the prisons. And they're not just concerned about the people who are housed in there as inmates, but they're also concerned about the people who work there that you know are going to have a real hard time returning to their families if this continues to spread the way it does. But also, it's going to have a hard time staffing that prison if the people in there are not well enough to work there. So they, they realize that this is, this is something that needs to happen right now. And we're kind of looking at if we can't push it to happen this weekend where we go through people individually, we're looking at very, very soon next week, what we say Monday. We're just praying that in, you know, in a matter of days that we don't see even more people, which would impact the number of people that can come out. Because once you are positive, you are not able to release. You are actually ordered into a quarantine area and you're not able to be released. And I understand that the, the prisons don't have the type of, uh, you know, medical tools that they need on a massive scale. So it could very well end up being in, in, in city hospitals or it's other hospitals outside of the prison just because there's not enough ventilators and other things if it were to spread massively within behind the wall, so to speak. That's 100% accurate. I think we're learning from other jurisdictions that this is exactly what happened. Rikers Island, I believe the medical doctor had an op-ed where he spoke out and said prisons by far have never really had access to the most quality care of uh, medical attention. But now more than ever, we're not even talking about the most quality, we're talking about the abundance of resources. And not only just medical attention, but also the resources to have hand sanitation and other uh, paraphernalia where it's where it's more feasible for people to continue to keep clean according to the CDC guidelines. And Rep. Davis, are you all continuing to decrease the population or have you pretty much hit that point where most of the... In Allegheny. Yeah, in Allegheny County. In Allegheny. No, we're, we're continuing to re- we're continuing to evaluate. I, I suspect there may be more release. I think we're getting into more uh, tougher situations now, uh, but I, I, I expect there will still be some more. The people who are going to stay in... Uh, you know, because there's some people you just cannot release for the very reasons right. that, you know, Jennifer mentioned. Are there any av- advocacy work being done there to make sure that to the extent social distancing or whatever can happen inside of the prison yes. that is being done there? Prison is working or the county jail is working to ensure that there is social distancing among the inmates that are left. They're also working very hard to ensure that crews are cleaning around the clock in the county jail to make sure it's the most sterile, clean environment that it can be and making sure that uh, the inmates have access to adequate hygiene care. Uh, so th- those efforts are underway. It's a little easier, I think, now that, that, that we've reduced the population significantly. 
but there's still work to be do to be done, and we're going to continue on that path. And so, Jennifer, my last question to you before we wrap this up is: Where's the line for you guys? Where's the line for crime victims to say, you know what, I don't care? You know, I know this is a, uh, a, a you know a pandemic. I know this is a health emergency, but there's a certain point that. You know, we we would stand up and say this cannot happen. Right. I mean, again, I'm very sympathetic to what's happening in our prisons and what's happening everywhere. Right. This is very scary. It's a very serious health issue. So the 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 release of uh, prisoners is is not um, our main issue. The the main issue we have is one that a victim's safety is considered when setting bail, and two that notification would happen for crime victims, especially if a violent offender would be released. Um, I know there's been some talk about looking at the entire person's criminal history, not just, you know, their residential parole violation or something like that, just to make sure that we're keeping our public safe and keeping our prisoners safe at the same time. We can all be safe. All of our rights can be upheld at this time, and they should be. Because this is Flashpoint, we do need to wrap this up. As the number of COVID-19 infections uh, tick up in the jails and prisons, Uh, They're very vulnerable to a major outbreak. Give your 15-second pitch to the powers that be on the urgency of getting this done, but done in a way that preserves public safety. Um, So I think we just have to continue to look at the situations, but long-term, not just make this be a one-off, but as we move forward, consider eliminating cash bail, keeping people out of our jails that shouldn't be there, that are purely just there because they're poor and they don't have enough money to get out. Sounds like this may actually change the criminal justice system. Ditto, because that is exactly... Uh, what I'm envisioning that we can have a whole new pretrial, and I mean pretrial, where people are still presumed innocent. They're still constitutionally presumed innocent. So these are people that should not be sitting in jail on the bail. But I also want to say this, as we're talking about people who should be released, we have to remember these are people that would be coming out under normal circumstances. They are at their minimum, they're due to be paroled, and they're never going to be locked under the jail. So we're going to have to be reasonable and flexible, not just with the fact that they're able to be released, but the fact that this is a public health crisis that we need to be more expeditious. Yeah, final word, Jennifer. I want to uh, just plead to everybody that we make sure that we're upholding crime victims' rights, even though constitutional rights for crime victims are being blocked here in Pennsylvania right now, even though 74% of voters approved it. Now more than ever, we need to make sure that victims have a voice in the criminal justice system. Thank you so much to Pennsylvania State Rep. Austin Davis, T.K.R. Bradford, great, and to Jennifer Riley for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank, Thank you. you. Next up, a primer for small businesses looking for COVID-19 crisis relief. We know that every business is struggling. We've cut down so much red tape. How to access $5 billion in business stimulus dollars. We'll be right back. If you like what you hear, why don't you stick around at the conclusion of this podcast and check out some of our past episodes. Last week, we did a show on the isms of the coronavirus. That is the racism, classism, individualism and capitalism that has slowed our progress in battling this pandemic. One of my favorite shows and one of our most downloaded podcasts is all about the Byron Allen $20 billion lawsuit against Comcast. He claims racism kept his channels off their platform. They said that was not true and they won in the U.S. Supreme Court. Find out why. You can find the Flashpoint podcast and all the shows at kwnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint. 
This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is the Economic Stimulus Package. It's been a week since President Donald Trump signed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, into law. It provides a third round of government support that will shore up the economy in this coronavirus crisis. With us to discuss how small businesses can take part of the relief is Ashley Bell, Region 4 Administrator for the Small Business Administration and the White House Policy Advisor for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Ashley, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much, sir, for having me on with you. Just really appreciate the opportunity to share this great information. Yes, yes. And so the CARES Act, it's a huge deal. Could you give us a brief overview of what it's designed to do for small businesses? Well, the CARES Act was designed to address a major need in the economy right now. I think everyone sees that we're having millions and millions of people unemployed every week. The CARES Act is is trying to curb the increase in unemployment. So the goal is to assist employers, keep the employees that they have, and if they have lost employees or let them go due to the pandemic to hire them back over the next eight weeks. And the government is going to 100% subsidize that and those expenses in order to curb the unemployment issues that we're having in this country. That is the overall mission of the CARES Act. And now, so this is like a two-step process because you applied and I understand there's a $10,000 immediate um, relief you can get. And that part is forgivable. Explain that. That part is actually the disaster loan portion. So I'll talk about the payroll protection plan right now. The payroll protection plan under the CARES Act, what that does is you go into your lender, which is your bank, and I advise anyone to go go to the lender who knows your business the best. They're going to be the best able to help you, a bank that does SBA loans. So what they're going to do is they're going to look at your monthly payroll and your monthly expenses. Going to multiply that times 2.5. That amount is what you'll get a loan for. And that amount will cover you for eight weeks. And then at the end of those eight weeks, If you can show your lender, hey, I have kept these employees on payroll this entire time and I have, you know, done what I was supposed to do, they're going to vacate that loan and the government's going to pay it. So you won't owe any of that money back. So this gives you eight weeks of employee payrolls being paid. But also in that eight weeks, you get to add in your mortgage interest, the rent that you're paying on your building, your insurance premiums and utilities. So you also get a little extra help to make sure your overhead is being taken care of while we finish out this extended waiting period. The government asks people to shut their businesses down. So yes. this is this is our response to that request to save people's lives, we're trying to save people's businesses by subsidizing for the next eight weeks. So that is what the CARES Act does. Now, on the other side of what you just mentioned is the SBA direct lending for emergency disaster loans. So this particular portion is direct lending from the federal government. Mm -hmm. You don't go to your banker with this. You go directly to SBA.gov, click on the disaster button, and apply for what we are calling an EIDL loan, E-I-D-L, Economic injury disaster loan. By applying for that loan, here's why this is important. It's not your normal underwriting. So don't be afraid that I'm, you know, I'm not going to qualify for this loan. We know that every business is struggling. We've cut down so much red tape. There's no collateral required for these loans. There's no personal guarantee until you hit $25,000. And this loan, you don't even have to pay back until one year after you get it. So if you get this loan to top of, of April, you don't have to pay it till April, 2021. So it's an incredible opportunity to use this loan, grow your business, get back on your feet, and then worry about paying it back a year from now. And on top of that, when you do it, when you do pay it back a year from now, we're allowing people to stretch the loan out for 30 years. So you easily could take a $25,000 loan, help your business out right now, and have a $50 payment for the next 30 years if you chose not to pay it off. The interest rate is only 3.75. That's a really low interest rate. So when you apply, let's hypothetically say, for a $100,000 loan, you apply for a $100,000 loan today on SBA.com. 
when you click on emergency advance, they're going to automatically process an emergency loan for you. If this is if you have employees. Now, remember, all of these these all of this help by the federal government is meant to get people back on payroll. So if you have employees and you apply for this loan, you can get ten thousand dollars cash immediately. And that first ten grand, you keep that. That is not you don't have to pay that back. So actually, your loan amount is ninety thousand. So the original loan was 100, the first 10 on the government. So you're actually only getting 90. And so even if you're denied for whatever reason for that 90,000, you still keep the $10,000. It's still yours. You still use it for what you use it for. So $90,000 can come to you in a, in a way of short interest, uh, I mean, low interest loans. And, and, and also, let's not forget, because so many of our communities are held up by the nonprofits that, yes. that are the, the, the ties of our community, the ties all together that take care of those folks the government can't. Your nonprofit is eligible for this loan as well. So your nonprofit, anything but a church is eligible for a disaster loan at a lower interest rate of 2.75. Now, if you flip over back to the PPP side, the one done through your lender, that is for 501c3s. So your church could potentially apply for that if they have services they offer to the public, such as drug and addiction counseling, such as after school care, such as you know homeless and food pantries. All those things that those services that your church may, may provide to the public could be a part of that forgivable loan program there. So great opportunity, public and private uh, uh, for-profit and non-profit businesses can take advantage of this. Lots of opportunity to get both sides forgiven and low interest loans for that part that's not. If we, if, if, if you don't have a lender, make sure you go find one right now. Your bank's the best place to go for the PPP loan. SBA.gov is the best place to go for the emergency economic injury disaster loan. Wonderful. And so a lot of, uh, in Philadelphia is a majority minority city. Uh, you know this. And so we have a lot of small businesses run by people of color who are typically very nervous about interacting with the government and institutions. What do you say to them? I totally understand that. When we look at the the, the banking side, so many you know, so many of our, our minority-owned businesses, of which I've had one myself since I was 22, we think the banks won't loan us money unless we can prove we don't need it, and it's hard. And so, I and we've had a history with lending institutions uh, that have caused major court cases and lawsuits that have been discriminatory against people in our community. But I want to say this is different, and I'll tell you why, because. Every reason that would cause someone to discriminate against you from getting a loan, we remove that because this, these loans are 100% guaranteed by the federal government, meaning that when you walk in the door or you go online to a bank and you apply for this loan, the bank is 100% covered. There's no way they lose money on this loan. Mm. And the federal government is paying your interest. And there's no collateral to talk about. And there's no personal guarantee to sign. So there's absolutely nothing that prohibits the bank from give, from doing this, uh, giving you this loan because they're 100 percent covered. They're only going to make money. There's no way for them to fail on this. And so I gotta, because of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No. And because of that, that's why you're more likely to get this loan approved. Exactly. Exactly. There's none of the impediments and the things that made us that makes you shy away from a bank. Because you, you think many times that it, it's just harder for people of color to get these loans. And there's some there's still some truth to that in this country. But in this particular instance, this won't be the case. Now, on the other side, when you look at dealing with SBA on the disaster side, again, this is directly coming from the federal government. Mm-hmm. This is a cash flow-based loan. It's, it can be done off of credit scores, but the reality is the credit score requirements have been dropped drastically. So a lot of people can apply for this and get this loan. And on top of that, we by removing those other all the red tape, most of our businesses qualify, sole proprietorships, independent contractors. 
everyone can apply for this. So if, yeah. if you're listening to this right now, you, you have employees, you can go and apply for the PPO loan right now. You can apply for disaster right now. If you are an independent contractor or a sole proprietor, April 10th is a day that you can apply at your bank for the PPP loan. And the thing is, this is a good chance. This is an opportunity for, I think, a lot of small businesses that have not had the type of capital that they needed to grow to get the capital at a low interest rate. Absolutely. And it, it, you know, you can't think of a time if you're if you're a minority business owner, you're listening to this. And there's no point in time in, the, in that you could think of where you felt comfortable walking in the bank and thinking that you could walk out with twenty five thousand dollars working capital. Yeah. Where you didn't have to say it's tied to a physical asset. You didn't have to say it was heavy equipment or a building. And you just walk out with twenty five thousand dollars, three point seven five interest rate guaranteed. For 30 years, most of us have been forced to go to friends and family and non-traditional lending and high credit card interest that we spend, you know, just to get by day to day. Lines of credit that have incredibly high interest rates, 3.75 is is unheard of. And especially right now, it's much needed. So take advantage of this. This, is, this net is thrown so wide. If we do this right and we get the word out to all the people that need to hear this, we're going to see more people of color in the credit market than ever before. And that's what's going to be great for America. We come out on the other side of this and there's millions of more African-American, Hispanic and Asian entrepreneurs inside the credit market, meaning that we have an institution that has extended credit to us. And now we're building credit and increasing our ability to buy and purchase and expand our business with goods and services. That is what's going to take off our community. That's what's going to create more uh, jobs in our community. And that's what's going to create more wealth in our community. And that's what's going to set us on the page for generational wealth building, and which is what we've all been shooting for and what our community has been thriving for. Yeah. And I want to take a couple more minutes before we wrap up. I just want to talk about the fact that uh, everybody wants, everybody's really nervous right now. They haven't been working. We, we're seeing businesses actually shutter, like nail salons, hair salons, barbershops, shuttering for good because of this economic um, slowdown. And I just, how important is it, you know, and how dedicated is this administration to making sure that our small businesses survive this? It's, it's utmost importance of this president. And, you know, I think that, you know, what's, what's impressive about this effort is that the president sat down with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House and the Senate and for the first time passed something in the House that was unanimous and in, in the Senate that was unanimous. Yes. It's a bipartisan right. effort. Yeah. It was the first time you had 100 to zero in the Senate about something that was related to spending money anyway. So that's huge. And so because of that, we all we have to look at this as, you know, an American initiative to to recover from the sickness. And I think that we can do it. The question is whether or not we're going to rise to the occasion. And we, it, we're all nervous right now. Everybody, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest threat to the free market system is unpredictability. And a lot of people don't know what's going to happen next. But what we can promise ourselves is that we give ourselves the tools to build a future for our families and for our businesses. These are the tools that we have in front of us right now. We have access to capital. We have a way of sustaining our businesses through this. And we have a way of building our businesses after this. Those are the tools we need. If you give that to any entrepreneur, I'm guarantee you that we, the American entrepreneur has a better chance than anybody else to take those tools and build an absolute trailblazing story from where we are right now to where we're going to go. And I'm excited to see that in the future. Yeah. And so where can people go give one more time to sign up? Because I know April 10th is one date, and, and but you can go right now for the disaster relief. Disaster relief, you can go to spa.gov and you can click on the disaster button. And that's for uh, anybody who, who wants to apply right now for economic disaster loan. That money has to be paid back except the first 10000 The first 10000 can go directly to you if you have employees and you don't have to pay that back. The PPP loan has started today for all of the 
uh, entrepreneurs that have employees. April 10th is the date that you go for all the independent contractors out there and all of the uh, sole proprietors. Yeah, and Ashley, you've been very busy getting the word out. Why are you so passionate about this? This is what I've been doing since I was 21, 22 years old. I'm somebody that comes from a community that was a desert, a food desert, an economic desert, a healthcare desert. Uh, and I know what it's like to come from that community and come back and start a business. I started my first business not because uh, it was really profit-driven. I was just trying to find a way to hire people that lived in my neighborhood. It was too many of us uh, were locked out of jobs because we had prior convictions and prior arrests. And so being an entrepreneur, in my opinion, is the greatest act of economic self-determination that you can have. You can hire who you want. You can, you, can, you can make the decisions you need to make to shape your community. And that same self-determination is what we want to bring back to America's communities and bring back to Philadelphia and bring back to all parts of this country. That same act of self-determination. We're trying to give people the tools so that they can make those right choices to build back their communities where they came from. So lots of opportunities with the CARES Act for small businesses. Take advantage. I want to say thank you so much to Ashley Bell, Region 4 Administrator for the Small Business Administration. We appreciate you for being on Flashpoint and sharing this important information. Absolutely. I look forward to being with you again. Next up, they're taking much-needed supplies to seniors on coronavirus lockdown. I was, of course, concerned about their safety as well as my own. The Northeast Philadelphia nonprofit that makes doorstep deliveries. We'll be right back. back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the radio.com app, Apple podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now we here at KYW, we are all about community and a local organization is taking matters in their own hands and helping to spread relief to families affected by the COVID-19 crisis. Here to tell us more about doorstep deliveries is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, ICNA Relief Shams Clinic Outreach Coordinator, Rosen Kairou. Rosen, welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, now you've been a previous changemaker when you all opened the Shams Clinic and you were doing some some outreach, um, you know, to back to school outreach. And now you have a new uh, effort called Doorstep Deliveries. Tell me, what is it? So um, amidst the COVID-19 crisis, um, we realized that certain sections of the population, such as senior citizens, patients with pre-existing conditions, uh, single mothers, as well as refugee families were acutely uh, uh, affected by this thing. And uh, they had issues with getting food as well as non-food essential items. Now, I work for a national uh, Muslim charity called Ikna Relief. And we decided to step up our efforts uh, to serve uh, those uh, sections of the population uh, and help them by doorstep deliveries. And uh, so ICNA Relief in Philadelphia is delivering uh, non-food items such as soap, detergent, toothpaste, diapers, baby wipes to families who are in need of these items. Yeah, because there's been a shortage of certain items like uh, toilet paper, for example. People can't get access to them. And so you... You all find this stuff and and help people get access to it. Yes, absolutely. So we have uh, an essential pantry attached uh, to the Shams Clinic, uh, which is in northeast Philadelphia, uh, where we have items uh, like these, such as uh, baby wipes, toilet paper, detergent, paper towels and stuff like that. And we also had uh, some families drop off uh, some items and contribute uh, to our efforts. Yeah. And has your phone been ringing off the hook? What's what's the, the demand like? <laughs> yeah, the phone as well as the email. So, yeah, we are being contacted 
uh, by a lot of uh, families who are in need, uh, mostly senior citizens as well as uh, patients with pre-existing conditions and single moms. We are also partnering with Council Member Bobby Heenan of the 6th District, amazing, uh, amazing public servant, and uh, we are partnering with his office to do doorstep deliveries also. Wonderful. And so um, how are you staying safe? Are you doing these deliveries yourself or are there volunteers and how are they staying safe? Two weeks ago, I uh, recruited just one volunteer because, uh, again, like I was, of course, concerned about their safety as well as my own. But after that, I uh, decided not to recruit any more volunteers for their own safety. Although I have been offered by a lot of friends and a lot of previous volunteers that, hey, we would really like to help and volunteer and help you make deliveries. Uh, I have desisted from this uh, uh, temptation and told them to stay safe and stay home. When I do go outside uh, to do deliveries, uh, of course, I have gloves, mask, um, I have a full sleeve shirt that I wear so that I'm not exposed. And to take care of the clients, the people that we are serving, uh, we do not come in personal contact with them. We make them up a few minutes before we are making a delivery. We drop off the items on their doorstep, and then I would step back like 10, 15 feet, and then I would make a call uh, to them so that they can come outside and pick up their items. So literally, you go from your stockpile and you deliver it on their doorstep and you keep it moving. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how many people have you been able to, to make deliveries to so far? Our organization alone has uh, served around 25 families in the last two weeks. But if you add the families that we have served along with council member Bobby Heenan, it's well over 60 families. Wow. And so uh, do you expect the demand to increase over time? Well, uh, as of now, there are certain families uh, who have uh, enough items. Like, you know, when they heard about uh, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, they were prudent enough to go outside and buy enough groceries and stuff like that. But I feel like some of these families will run out of stuff in the next couple of weeks and they might reach out to us. And one of the things that we are pioneering is that we are not trying to get into delivering the food thing because we know there are a lot of restaurants in Philadelphia who are doing an amazing job at delivering food uh, to hospitals as well as senior citizens. So we decided to uh, look into other issues like, okay, non-food items, people need those also. So we are delivering those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And so what keeps you going uh, amid this crisis to to provide mm-hmm. the services to those in need? Ikna Relief, uh, the organization that I work for uh, is a national level Muslim charity. Uh, we are ins- inspired uh, by our faith, our religion. The beloved Prophet Muhammad وسلم, said that uh, he who believes in God and in the last day, as in the day of judgment, uh, let him be kind to his neighbor. This is all about uh, neighbors helping neighbors, uh, people of all different faiths uh, helping uh, each other uh, get through this difficult time um, because that's what neighbors do. Yeah, and that is what neighbors do. How can people support you? Uh, on our website, www.technarelief.org and uh, make a donation. Wonderful. And that's spelled I-C-N-A relief.org. Rosen, is there anything else you'd like to add? I just want to give a huge shout out and thanks to all other organizations, restaurants, as well as our healthcare workers who are doing an amazing job uh, helping the community heal uh, during this uh, difficult times. More power to you. um, And please do let us know if there's anything else we can do at Ikna Relief. Uh, to help you guys out in this effort. And we hope that our nation and the whole world is out of this thing as soon as possible. I know, so many people stepping up. And if people need services, how do they reach you? They can reach out uh, to us uh, through email, shamsclinic at org, 
or uh, they could uh, give us a call. Our website uh, is shamsclinic.org and we have our phone numbers over there. Wonderful. So I want to say thank you uh, to Rosa and Karu for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. And I wish you luck and please stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck? Or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k, retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations, and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint is produced by Cherry Gregg and associate producer Ariane Fulcher. Thanks for listening. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. And if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As science fiction writer Frank Herbert once said, survival is the ability to swim in strange water. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.